0: Good evening, welcome to Graphic Policy Radio. This is your host, Ilana, uh, aka Twitter's Ilana Brooklyn. And this is a comics podcast wherein today we'll be discussing the new Spider-Man Far From Home movie. This is the comics podcast for people who are getting too many emails about SDCC and way too many emails about donating to the DSCC. That's the Democratic Senatorial Campaign Committee I get i really got a full lot of fundraising emails this live, this time of year especially so thank you for tuning in and joining us we're going to have a nerdy conversation on multiple levels this evening uh, we're going to assume that you have watched spider-man far from home because the movie has been out in the theaters for quite some time by now and joining me to dig into this conversation about the film's place in uh, the marvel canon The relationship between the movie and Spider-Man characters and a lot of the really political themes and subtexts of the movie. I have two awesome guests, one of whom is returning to the show, and that is Caden Mach. Caden is the executive director at 18 Million Rising, where he has been rabble rousing and nerding out in various roles for the past seven years. Outside of work, he keeps busy with local organizing projects in Oakland, California, where he lives with his two cats. You can find him on Twitter at Kaden. Are you, are you at Caden?
1: I am, yeah. I joined Twitter in like 2011, and, and uh, I was able to park my actual first name. C-A-Y-D-E-N. <laughs>
0: so. And then joining me for the first time is a new guest. Uh, is Tom Chacho. Tom is a television writer and producer whose recent credits include True TV's Hack My Life, Bravo's The Real Housewives of Atlanta, and the forthcoming web series Low, the New Adventures of Ultimate Man's Ex-Girlfriend. He grew up in Queens, but has yet to be bitten by a radioactive anything. He is on Twitter at TomTV, that's T-O-M-T-E-E-V-E-E. Thank you for joining me for the show.
2: Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to talk about this wonderful movie.
0: You know, for my, for my opener, before I started making a joke around getting too many campaign committee emails, I was going to do something about Spider-Man truly being a cautionary tale about the dangers of letting your children be mentored by former arms dealers and war profiteers, <laughs> but um, and then I was like, "But that's a spoiler, and then I thought to myself, yeah, but this movie's been in the theaters for some time, um, <laughs> so hopefully folks have still maintained their enthusiasm for it. Are, are you guys as excited about the movie as you were when you first left the theater?
2: I am, my only problem with this Spider-Man movie is that we are getting too many good Spider-Man movies in the last couple of years that it is hard to rank them all against each other. Um, But I mean, I really love this version of Peter and really
1: love where they keep pushing him. Yeah, no, similarly, I like, I don't know, The, the more that I think about it, the more that I get kind of excited about, especially the way that like, the this particular movie is like, I think, advancing a sort of like critique not just of like warfare, but of like psychological warfare, right? So yeah, totally. I think it's really smart. Totally, I um, I I it was
0: definitely the sort of movie where going into it, I wasn't sure who I wanted to have be my guests on to talk about the movie. Like, in certain circumstances, uh, I can anticipate what are the kinds of political themes and messages that are going to be really important? And I can plan in advance, like, Oh, I want to make sure that, you know, we're going to have voices from this particular kind of activism or life experience beyond it. And with Spider-Man far from home this time, you know, my last time I did a Spider-Man, uh, MCU show, I, you know, I had a friend of mine who is a high school teacher in LA, uh, and a film critic and another friend of mine who is a former New York city, uh, yeah, high school student herself and I want because I wanted that particular lens through it and this one I didn't know what I wanted until afterwards and then I said oh we need people who are really sharp observers about media and technology and society and this all came together perfectly for that because this movie ended up being so much about that and I, I you know going into it I mean I think we, we all were familiar or speak speak up if not true we all familiar with Mysterio as a, as a you know as a character as a super villain. Leading into the the you know the movie and I, watching the trailers I, I kept thinking like oh that's so funny that they're gonna make us think that this literally like famous Spider Man villain is not a villain the whole time, um, but I didn't necessarily know that media criticism <laughs> was the way that the uh, the the sort of subtext of the movie would be taking with it. <laughs> um, You know so i i was i was satisfied with the movie i think like the movie decided that they would take place one of the scenes would take place in italy as a way to justify mysterio's name being mysterio it's make (laughs) it be less silly sounding to modern non-silver age comics reading ears but um but you know like yeah when they were to have the whole like spider-man's big wet european vacation like i I didn't know what that would mean it also wasn't a milieu that i've associated with a spider-man much before like i don't really associate European vacation with, like, working class kid from Queens, even if he's at a gifted and talented, like, basically Bronx science is his high school, high school. Um, so I just wasn't sure what where the movie would be going with that. Um, I mean, I don't know if folks have thoughts about the particular international travel setting. Well, I, I
2: I feel both ways about it where I was like uncomfortable with it. Still, I'm not 100% comfortable with it, but to sort of explain where I'm coming from is I'm someone who feels like Spider-Man stories and the best Spider-Man stories happen within the five boroughs of Manhattan. Mm -hmm. Um, However, um, I am also a kid who grew up in Queens that went to Bronx Science and went (laughs) on these Euro trips. Oh (laughs) my god! it like is the milieu of that experience. Um, That's amazing. So as as weird as I was, so as much as I was just like, Spider-Man doesn't belong here. I was like, but you know, this sort of real world approach of like, what if Peter Parker was a teenager in Queens today? Like he's certainly going on these trips. Um, And it's, and and sort of the, the teen emotional component of that movie um, is like ripped from my life experience in terms of like the emotional intensity um, and comedy that comes out of those teens. That's amazing.
1: <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I actually really enjoyed the sort of like corny Euro trip thing that was going on and like having this like weird sort of like genre clash of like, you know, the sort of big budget superhero movie that we're used to with like, you know, you know, Tom. Even though the like my high school experience is quite different, and like there were no such Euro trips, uh, just like the sort of like way that I resonated with like that sort of teen emotional intensity of like going to summer camp. It's like you have these like weird like time delimited periods of of your life as a kid where like you're kind of like thrust into these weird social situations, and like yeah, I think anytime it, you put <laughs> special
2: anytime you put teenagers. In a limited space for like a limited amount of time, people are going to like get together, break up, change their friendships. Like the stuff that goes on with Ned and Betty is yeah. like is <laughs> so real, so real. Um, yeah, so just like that—that that sort of emotional intensity and just the plane ride and where people are going to sit on the plane ride um, and having those types of like low stakes for a superhero movie, but like real stakes for a 16-year-old, I think is what mm-hmm. makes this Peter so different and so resonant. Um because I I just feel like the stakes in as much as I love the Rainy movies and there are things that I enjoy about the Amazing Spider-Man movies, like the the emotional and life stakes of that Peter were always just like so operatic to the point where he becomes unrelatable. Um, whereas I feel mm-hmm. like this is a Peter that you went to high school with.
0: I really love, I think we're all agreeing that the whole Ned and Betty Brant subplot was wonderful in every way um i've forgotten that she was in the movies um actually i don't know how i forgot that but like when i when i saw her after the opening montage that's like the. i love that you don't realize the source of the cheesy avengers sacrifice Mm -hmm. themselves montage and then i feel like near the end of it i was like oh my god this is totally some high school kids project isn't it and then it turned out to be yes it's indeed betty brandt Mm -hmm. and the tv the, the the high school tv stations like meaningful. And the Getty watermark, the Getty watermark
2: on, (laughs) I forgot whose picture was just like yes, these are teenagers making that movie.
0: Yeah. I like the horrible typeface choices. Oh yeah. But I I cheered when I saw Betty. I'd forgotten (laughs) about her and I was like, yay Betty. And then I explained, you know, I explained after the movie to my husband, I was like, so Betty Brant is from the old school Spider-Man comics. She was actually the original love interest she is a news reporter in the real world, in the comics now mm-hmm. i like love that they have her doing that and that also just felt like you know spider-man's you know friends and 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 uh are such an interesting bunch of people such a quirky characters and um i, I love the way they've been make they've made themselves seen in this yeah well i think they've done a really good
2: job of taking like an ultimate approach to his whole world and not a like specific to the 2000s ultimate version, but taking an ultimate pass at what these characters would be like in 2019. And, you know, rooting Peter in a high school and also a newspaper would be so strange. So like having, you know, I don't want to get ahead of us with the ending and all that stuff, but just the way that they've couched Mm -hmm the media beats of a Spider-Man story in in the way news is in 2019, I think is making all of those characters pop in a way that they haven't before.
0: Well, this made me think, are either of you guys watching Young Justice, the cartoon? Love Young Justice. I haven't watched it, actually. Oh my God, Caden, we have to help you with this later. But um, just as an aside, like one of the things in it (laughs) Is that uh, a number of characters, you know, are 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 like live streaming stuff on Instagram? Who in the actual comics were like, you know, like teen journalists and like stuff like that? And I'm like, yes, exactly. Because that is exactly what they'd be doing. They'd be live streaming this from Instagram. <laughs> like that's what they. be. So I thought that those were interesting ways to like use technology to make up for the whole like. No, Spider Man is actually not. You 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 can't have a day job as a professional photographer at the. Daily Bugle while being in high school full-time right now. That's not a thing that can happen. Um, but I definitely think, like, the whole sense of, like, Spider-Man as a character who is struggling economically and that being one of the major tensions that he deals with is something that I, I, I think is really important to the character that we don't get at all. Like, even though Aunt May is very civically involved and, you know, I guess, like, briefly experienced homelessness herself after the blip, I, you don't have the class struggle of spider-man visible in this like you know when flash thompson says dickish things to spider-man about it it's clearly just a general jab that he'd make it anybody who wasn't like super wealthy it's not about peter in particular being working class flash would say that to anybody just because he's an asshole um so, I, you know, I think, like, the, specific, the the specificity of him as a working-class hero is, is something that I, I, I do miss about the character.
1: Well, I mean, for me, the other thing that that kind of raised is, I guess, really some questions about, like, what did the blip do to the economy generally? Like, how has it actually changed the way that, like, people relate to each other, like, on the level of, like, you know, who's making money, how is money made? Um, And I think that like, there's an, there are a lot of sort of unanswered questions that I think are like, kind of a, like fun flight of fancy, um, for people who are interested in that kind of thing. And like, I don't know, I'm always thinking about like, what people do for work, um, in sort of like fictional Mm -hmm. worlds who we don't necessarily see on screen. Um, And like thinking about, uh, you know, thinking back to Endgame, you know, the the idea that, like, you would have a huge city like New York that is, like, that empty um, for five years. It's, like, how are people eating? You know, like, what is what is the food system like? Uh, how are people dealing with this stuff? I think that raised some questions for me, too, this, like, have things change for um, Peter Parker's family because of the blip and, and uh, because of making out the other end? And, like, what are the sort of, like, economic circumstances that that Weird experience, and the whole
0: relationship you know? with Happy Hogan also sort of makes it be moot. Like, oh, if Aunt May can't get can't have a good paying job, like he'll get her a job at Stark Industries. Like, you know what I mean? Like, they don't actually because of the way the movies have made Spider Man and Iron Man protege, which was you know definitely something invented in the movies and never something we really saw. Even when Spider Man's been in the Avengers, um, it's uh, it just changes his driving, like, you know, they're, they're kept if Aunt May doesn't have a job, she can just get one from, from from Stark Industries and they'll be fine. I do want to actually maybe jump real quickly to talking about some of the employee-worker relationship, employer relationship themes of this <laughs> movie, <laughs> which I did not see coming. Mysterio as a disgruntled former Stark Industries employee is like complete touch of genius. I really loved how that was his history was woven into the history of the movies as a whole. And, you know, you, it really makes you, and it challenges the whole idea of Tony Stark as being this like single genius who could somehow do it all himself. It's really the result of him and a whole team of people. And And the
2: guy they flashback to in Iron mm -hmm. Man one is an Iron Man one. Like they really, it is the same (laughs) actor. Like they really are sewing back into that quilt to sort of, hit home at the fact that like Tony is at the ground floor of this universe and not necessarily like the best person all
0: the time. What hit me was like looking at who those workers, who the members of the um, Mysterious team were, was that these are all people who are like, basically like professionals and in middle management at Stark Industries. So it's like, is this like, this is like a, an uprising of the professional class to challenge the 1% but then in the process they're endangering like everybody and I don't know I just kept trying to think about that through a class lens because it, it is you know this isn't delivery guys who are the, the you know who are the ones mm-hmm. who, are, who are joining together it is slighted professional workers it is slighted you know up, up, upper middle class people um, and uh, and they're banding together and maybe they're developing a class consciousness for the first time but unfortunately using it towards uh, evil and further myth-making rather than to opening up the process of like Stark Industries to the world to have more people benefit from it.
1: I don't know. You know what it made me think of actually is um, uh, this is not, I mean, I know some people in the Tech Workers Coalition and they're great, but it made me think about the Tech Workers Coalition, Um, right? That like all of these like software engineers and product managers who are the sort of like upper middle class I mean, in anywhere anywhere else in the country besides the Bay Area, and- <laughs> yeah, yeah, <right? laughs> like let's be honest, um, you know that they are starting to organize and like talking about like how can they take power as workers and really start to like re-identify as workers, um, and so I mean, it, it does make me think about like I think there is some healthy skepticism of the tech workers coalition on the part of like longtime. Um, like, movement folks in the Bay Area, just because it's, like, n- not always clear what their sort of, like, analysis of the broader landscape is and how they see themselves and, um, and like, their wealth in the sort of, like, uh, in, in the landscape of the Bay Area. And, um, you know, it, it seems like one of those things that, like, vitally necessary because, like, you know, the actual Tony Starks of the world are, like, destroying the planet, right, Um, on top of a number of other terrible things, Uh, but at the same time, it's, like, what are the politics of uh, organizing upper-middle-class workers? Like, what does, you know, what does that become, then, a vehicle for, Um, and how do we make sure that, like, the politics that they espouse and the stuff that they fight for is also, like, inclusive and, like, uh, meaningfully benefits like the actual working class people that still exist in Silicon Valley. Perfectly said. And just for
0: background context for anybody, um, the tech workers like at Google and at Amazon and other and Facebook are starting to to develop their own worker co- like collaboratives and, th- and, and trying to form unions and stuff like that. So that's sort of reflecting on that change. Um, check out tech workers co-op co- and uh, online and learn more because it's pretty amazing.
1: Um, yeah, I think it's techworkerscoalition.org.
0: Techworkerscoalition.org. Also organizing as some of the video game developers, et cetera. Um, but he isn't just, but these aren't just tech workers organizing. And then again, of course, Mysterio screws them over in the end, like he threatens one of their lives when they refuse to go along with them, et cetera. But Mysterio is also, I mean, he's literally making fake news, right? Um, I I, I I am positive that, like that, was a, something that was deliberately going
1: into the mix of this movie's story. Um, well, not just fake news, but like deep, deep, fakes, deep fakes, right? Like <laughs> <laughs> the deepest of fakes.
0: Yeah, yeah. Like especially the, what we see at the end of the movie, like he's able to make anything look real and visible. And with that kind of mass level disinformation, is something we don't know how to respond to. Um, and we haven't really figured out solutions for it.
2: Well, I think it's interesting that like amongst all of these tech workers, there is a narrative and propaganda guy who is coming up with a compelling story of where he's from and what he's about. Um, and he criticizes the story when it's not good enough because Mm -hmm. on top of the fact that it all needs to look real in a certain way, it needs to be framed and primed for a certain audience to the point where, you know, they create this new backstory for Mysterio of him being from an alternate earth and use the alternate earth name of Marvel to create a fake story that is believable within a
0: comic book world. Yeah. I, I also think like the, you know, Spider-Man is also a story that has historically dealt a lot with, media propaganda mm-hmm. as an issue before and it mm-hmm. just hadn't been part of spider-man yet in the mcu and i was just really happy to see that that part of his story like lives on because it is one of the really important stories that you can tell with spider-man mm-hmm. it's a spider-man story it's a daredevil story x-men have their own particular take on it um well what's it's more intrinsic
2: with, to yeah. begin with like he was more of a youtube celebrity so which is which is interesting is that that Sort of makes him get you know he's a YouTube celebrity in in a world filled with adventures so no one was paying
0: attention to him. So true. (laughs) Um, So my question for folks, since I'm I'm presuming folk you know both of you guys like came into the movie knowing Mysterio was a bad guy from the comics, like at what point in the movie do you feel like it just was really clear what was going on? I actually felt like Gyllenhaal's performance. Was way better when he was being, uh, like when he, had, you know, when the mask was was lifted, so to speak, than when he was pretending to be a good guy. I actually found him to be, like, a little bit of not charismatic enough for being the good guy in a way that I think could have been deliberate. Do you know what I mean? Um, and uh, then, uh-huh. and then he was just way more believable and way more at home once he got to just like lean into being the bad guy but I'm curious what your thoughts were about like how the plot pivoted and what, and what was your emotional response, even as people going into the movie, knowing he's a bad guy.
2: I did not believe him at all at any point in the movie, which was sort of a struggle for me in the first half and part of by like the back half more than the first Mm -hmm. half. Um, But again, I think it's this issue of just like Marvel constantly stacking up the expectations against themselves Um, Because coming off of so many movie... Like, there are so many big twists in Captain Marvel and big twists in the last Avengers movies that are genuinely surprising about characters and motivations in the movie that you've been watching the whole time. That I sort of... Like, after Captain Marvel, I'm not going in primed, believing anything um, that they're putting in front of me. Um, And then also... I don't know if either of you have watched the last season of Daredevil, yeah. but oh, the, they weirdly adapt a huge chunk of the mysterious story that Kevin Smith did in that Karen Page episode. Um, and they just put such a surprising twist on it that I just sort of was like, given that in Captain Marvel, like I just didn't think that they had done enough to to fool me um as like someone who's like well read in Mysterio and Spider-Man stories I
1: had fun with it but I didn't believe it
2: Hmm.
1: yeah I mean I don't know that I don't know yeah I didn't really find it terribly believable either but I do I mean I do think that the reveal scene was incredibly well done um I found it like it was like to me it was like an interesting twist on that moment that like a villain explains their entire plot but it doesn't actually like put him at risk in any way right like yeah. <laughs> i thought it was like very cleverly executed and like being able to follow all of the logic um i think really set up the second half of the movie in a really uh really useful way um i think the whole time for the first half i was kind of like what exactly is going on here like is there I, I was wondering like who is going to betray whom, um, you know like what what sort of like sort of subterfuge or backstabbing might happen to like get Spider Man and Mysterio on, on different sides by the end of the movie, um, and I don't I don't think I I really deep fakes was not where I, I was assuming things would go for sure.
0: Yeah, <laughs> um, I mean I think there is also another meta commentary where uh, Mysterio is just sort of lambasting spectacle movies in the first place. Like he basically says, it's all effects around a stupid story. And it just sounds like a literal critic <laughs> of the MCU talking about the MCU, right? And it's interesting because when I was like, they're the elementals, and I looked at those and like, I don't like the character design for these elementals. Like maybe one of these guys is Hydro, I don't know, but it's not really quite interesting. It's not quite getting me there. because um, yeah, you. You do
2: wonder if they're Hydro-Man and Sandman for a minute. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Mm -hmm. But the thing that's interesting about like the critique of CGI and big budget movies is that when he's not in the Mysterio suit, he's in a motion capture suit, which is what Tom Holland wears when he plays Spider-Man. Because Tom Holland is rarely (laughs) ever in a Spider-Man costume. Um, He's usually like in a motion capture suit that they graft the Spider-Man costume onto after the fact, which is like why whenever like if you look at any of the behind the scenes stuff from Infinity War and Endgame, he's wearing what Mysterio is wearing. So he's like literally a special effects guy.
0: So Mysterio is Spider-Man then also. Yeah, it is
2: Spider-Man.
0: For that matter, the Mysterio costume design itself looks like a send up of Doctor Strange and uh, Thor's costumes in the MCU as well. I, I but also, shout out for the existence of Black Suit Spider-Man. Yes. Albeit briefly.
2: Oh, yeah. Night Monkey. Night Monkey is probably my favorite gag
0: in the whole movie. <laughs> it's totally something someone would make up at the top of yeah. their head. They, like, they just would. Um, so, uh, MJ is amazing, continues to be amazing, Mary Jane. I am... Um, I'd said this with the last movie, but like, I'm not used to seeing female characters in anything, let alone as teenagers who identify with even in the slightest. And um, like, Anjay was just there, like being there and doing that and maintaining that even while being a love interest in this movie. And that's so fucking rare. Yeah, she's
2: so unusual, like for the genre as a whole, and also for spider Spider-Man movies which like my biggest problem with all of the movies that have come before is just how depressed these women are. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like like Kristen Dunst's Mary Jane is just constantly on the verge um, and Gwen Stacy is kind of a sad sack. And like the thing about the comics and particularly like going way back is Aside from like Gwen Stacy's death, these are like joyful, fun, funny, powerful women that see something in like the nerdy Peter Parker and are not, um, are not like sad ladies that have to be rescued. So it was like yeah. nice to see her, even though she's like a very new take on Mary Jane. Or MJ is, we're calling her like she feels like his equal in a way. Um, Kristen Dunst and um, Emma Stone just did not in the other franchises.
0: And I'm someone who has written a bit about how it seems like a lot of the the fan discourse didn't seem to acknowledge the actual comics Mary Jane's personality as a thing. Like when when the initially people were freaking out and being angry that they were because they're racist, being angry at casting a a black actress as Mary Jane. And people were just acting as if literally the only personal characteristic Mary Jane had was being a redhead. Also as if there aren't black people with red hair and as if Mm -hmm. red hair dye doesn't exist. Um, I was right there being like, actually Mary Jane in the comics is a very strong personality and not one which is rooted in being sad. Although she does have real world struggles around money in particular. Um, But like, it, it it was so at first I was sort of resistant to there being a I was worried that having an MJ that had a completely different personality than the one from the comics might sort of feed into the whole notion that MJ in the comics was a non-entity and was just like an empty shell who in, in of a hot body when she's not. But it it didn't really pan out that way. And I and I do love her character so much. It's so unique and special. And you know, there'll there'll be space in some other Marvel movie for a character who's like you know, a party girl who's actually really awesome and like plays with that, um, deconstructing that myth effectively, even if Mary Jane herself is not that. But I could
2: see Zendaya grow into that is sort of what I'm hoping. Cause like what I really wanna see, not to seem like completely shallow, but (laughs) like I wanna see like Mary Jane be a supermodel Like, I just really love her as this, like, big media presence, like, who is this, like, you know, glamour girl with a soul and intelligence who can also run Stark Industries. Um, And I I, I sort of feel like Zendaya could potentially grow into that in her own Zendaya way and and the sort of... um, approach that they're taking to her.
0: I just think she has no time for that shit. Yeah. She would just like, like, I feel <laughs> like she might, you know, she would make, she, and, um, I think she would be interested in being a subject of like media attention as like, you know, the new columnist for Teen Vogue, writing about mm-hmm. the great, the general strike, you know? but um, But I don't, I just don't think she would want to be involved in something that was devoid of like expressly political content in her eyes, even though obviously people who are models have a political platform and some of them have used it, in fact, um, but I think she would be resistant to even seeing that as an opportunity.
1: I don't know. Well, I, I mean, I think that's like, what's kind of n- neat to me about this MJ too, is that she feels like a fully formed character who is extremely also mm. a teenager, right? Like a lot of there, I think a lot of what Tom is saying makes sense to me, because like, you know, when you are 17, and like, are like a high achieving student, um, you know, you may feel like you're too cool for the entire world. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But there's also ways in which I think um, there's, there are definitely some opportunities, like, as, like, this version of MJ grows up to kind of, like, explore her as a, like, sort of full complex Mm -hmm. human. Um, And it's like, yeah, I, I, I find that a really interesting idea, and I think that, like, Zendaya is brilliant oh, in this yeah. role. Like, I really enjoyed her, and I really enjoyed watching her, and, uh, I, you know, I, I hope she continues to play
0: And this. every moment in which a girl actually initiates the first kiss with a guy is, like, a triumph for society. Like, it's the story that—I <laughs> I watch so few teen movies that maybe I— um, maybe I've been, maybe I missed something. Maybe things have changed more than, than I thought they had, but like historically movies never acknowledged that girls even had desires, that those mm-hmm. desires might be towards guys who are smart, that those desires might be towards people who are atypical in some way. Like they were just objects who men sought after and that they didn't have any desires of their own. And just having her like pursuing him in those ways is just, you know, like really
1: amazing. <laughs> Um, yeah and like talking talking about the stakes that um, are like the stakes of like uh, Peter Parker's personal life like that I mean they're sort of back and forth and they're kind of like awkward uh repartee and like his like failed schemes and the fact that she ends up being the person initiating like that feels true to life to Mm -hmm. me in a lot of ways you know that's like how actual teenagers flirt or at least how i actually flirt yeah
2: Yeah. and (laughs) also true to how he relates to women in the comics because Mm -hmm. like gwen or mary jane tended to be in the in the driver's seat when he was with them In terms of like driving the relationship and making a lot of the decisions, Mm -hmm. um, more so than um, I think it's been presented before. That's very true. And also, one thing I I really don't have either of you played the PlayStation Spider Man game? No. That came out last year? It's great. It's like written. And also, what's interesting is you see certain visual flourishes from Mm. it. And I don't know if it's a literal lift or just you know that them sort of coming out at the same time um seemingly pulled from the game or both pulled from the ether at the same time but the one thing i don't like about the game is they basically make mary jane barbara gordon and it just is not her personality Um, Redheads
0: are not interchangeable
2: redheads are not interchangeable and it's like, you don't need to be like a girl reporter mystery solver to have like a, a vital role in these movies, even though like MJ does sort of figure out the plot, um, of the supervillain pretty quickly. Um, the, the, you know, it's, it was sort of interesting to see them, you know, give her character traits, um, and reinvent the character without just sort of leaning on another another female trope you see
0: comics. Yeah, totally. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Speaking of teenagers, um, one of the news stories that I saw after I saw the movie was the following headline in Hollywood Reporter, Zach Barak opens up about being Marvel Studios' first openly transgender actor. And I saw all these tweets and stuff like that talking about like transgender character in Spider-Man, and. I was like, was there? And I missed it. Like, how did I? And, you know, God bless him. I'm, like, glad he's in the movie and speaking up about him being trans. But I was so sad to think, like, oh, were we going to have trans representation? Like, no, we weren't. We had a trans actor, which is great. But, like, I didn't even... His character wasn't even named. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's, it's not even, like, a Betty Brant situation where she's, like, a, you know, a minor character, but is mm-hmm. it actually a character with a name. Mm-hmm. I didn't... Rem... Like, I... I did a little bit of digging, and at first I thought that maybe Marvel was trying to get unearned praise for diversity, but it looks like it really was probably uh, the actors' uh, publicity team pushing for it rather than Marvel mm. trying to take unearned cred. Although it's hard to necessarily say for sure. But, Although um, it, is,
2: it did seem like on that bus, there were like a lot of attempts made at like presenting a diverse world, which mm-hmm. I feel like worked better in the broader school setting last year, I mean, or in the last um, installment, but fell sort of flat to me. Cause I mean, I I knew that they had cast a trans actor before I saw it. Um, and then to see it and not see the trans actor have not have any, li- I don't
0: think he had any lines.
1: I don't think he had any lines.
0: No lines, yeah. he had no name. His character's name is Zam, yeah.
1: which is his name in real life. <laughs> It was, like, him and and the the hijabi girl. Yeah, the hijabi girl, yeah. Right? Like, I was like, oh, okay. Well, I didn't, you know. It's like... Yeah. Go ahead, sorry. I also... I'm I'm looking also right now, just, like, quickly. I'm like, where are scenes that, like, we really see him? Um, And I'm just, like, trying to find, like, uh, you know, screenshots of scenes where he's really, like, in the frame... In a like meaningful way, we really don't get a lot of him in general.
0: No, we don't.
1: Like he's there, but he's not like in any meaningful way. It
0: was really disappointing. Like it would have been, it wouldn't have been hard to at least give him a few lines and to give his character a name mm-hmm. that wasn't his actual name. Like just, just at least give me that, you know? Yeah,
2: because I feel like they did a better job with all of the kids who were on the quiz team in the last movie, because yeah. like even though those kids mm-hmm. didn't all have names, or even like. Um, Josie Tota, who has lines in the first like has line is like supposed to be the gay kid at school but has lines um that is that that was sort of disappointing
1: yeah i mean i I always sort of like I get why probably like uh you know zach barrack's uh like Agent or publicity team would want to like point this out and and make sure that there are stories and variety or whatever about it. But it is like a little bit of a bummer that he doesn't even have like look like really a speaking part. Um.
0: Well, I'm wondering if we can build buzz around him, and then maybe he'll get one in the next movie. If <laughs> we could be like,
1: yeah, you who know, had
0: the most amazing magnetic exp- like you know like bearing in the past film? It was him. We all noticed him, and therefore he needs to be the next breakout character. He'll, he could be the next Coulson, like the character <laughs> mm-hmm. no one expected to be the big breakout and is the breakout anyway. I don't know. I'm verbalizing <laughs> it. Maybe it'll happen. I mean, they do a lot of like
2: queer Monday morning quarterbacking, like how at Comic-Con they were talking about how Tessa Thompson's going to be fully gay in the next Thor. And it's like after everyone has like received it and signed off on it, when you have it in the background, it does sort of seem to be how they do things.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so I guess maybe maybe the more we talk about it, the more likely Mm -hmm. it will be a thing because the public pressure does matter. (laughs) They might tell you it doesn't, but it does. Yeah.
2: Well, they, um, what I'm actually very interested to see is, I don't know if either of you watched Titans, but they've cast a trans actor to play Jericho on Titans. Yeah. And I'm
0: curious if that
2: means Jericho is going to be a
0: trans character. I suspect that will be the case because of the way like the studio was leading with it,
2: mm-hmm. but, um,
0: and yeah, that was, like that's exciting. Crazy, that's a big so. character. And that's like a big character. Like yeah. in Teen Titans, like, you know, Joey is like a major character and I, I guarantee that that will be a, a, a significant meaty role and makes me more excited to see Teen Titans, to see Titans season two. I didn't even watch season one. I'll probably watch season two just to see him. Frankly.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, seriously. Well also, Chella Man is a really like interesting person and like an interesting personality. He's also deaf. Mm. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what they do. Um, you know, a, like is 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 Jericho and Titans gonna be deaf? You know, that's I think that's another big question.
0: Because he's 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 mute in the comics, um, but it's from an injury. Mm-hmm. So he's not so he uses sign language, yeah, but yeah he can hear.
1: Yeah. And like, like, is there going to be like more sort of engagement with that as like a disability justice thing? You know? Mm-hmm. Um, Exciting. And
0: Doom Patrol season two is renewed. So there's lots of really cool queer things happening on DC streaming, TLDR, including, as I may have mentioned, in when we're talking about Young Justice, like, there is a non-binary superhero character who wears a hijab
1: mm-hmm. in,
0: teen, in, in Young Justice, the cartoon.
2: And they seem to be hinting that Impulse Kid Flash is gay now. I haven't um,
0: seen that yet, but that would be amazing.
2: Yeah, he's like very touchy with one of the new meta teams or whatever they're calling them. Um, and someone mentioned them being a couple, but they haven't gotten super. Although, well, did you? I don't want to spoil it because it got, okay. also got really gay this week. There was, there was, there is, there is some, some, yeah. D, DC, DC
0: is doing the work, um, yeah. especially with Doom Patrol, which is like the gayest show on television. And folks can listen to two episodes of podcast coverage of Doom Patrol at Graphic Policy Radio, which is now also <laughs> on Spotify and iTunes.
2: Um,
0: so uh, back to back over in Marvel Land. Um, I, I one of the I think the themes of this movie is just something which is like very much in line with general superhero messages in general, which is the idea of heroism being a shared burden rather than an individual task. And that it's interesting because on the one hand you have uh shield or because it's, it's not it's not really Nick Fury, right? It's Shield, it's an entity pressuring Spider-Man to say like, no, this is your job. Spider- but Man's also saying, it's not I-
2: SHIELD. We don't know what the organization is. I mean
0: the I think SHIELD's- it's SHIELD's I think it's S.H.I.E.L.D. I think it's S.H.I.E.L.D. I mean they're like, it's just, it's just Talos like acting in Nick Fury's stead I think, like am I wrong? But is,
2: does Nick Fury ever rejoin S.H.I.E.L.D. is the thing? Because S.H.I.E.L.D. becomes like after Winter Soldier, S.H.I.E.L.D. becomes strictly a TV thing. Hmm. Like it's not, like there's no more S.H.I.E.L.D. in the movies. Um and I sort of wonder if there is like a new organization or if it's going to be sword or, but I don't, I don't think it's shields.
0: Okay. Um, but like, I mean, but, 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 regardless, like there's an entity that is telling Spider-Man that he needs to take mm-hmm. this burden on himself, even though they're in a world with tons of superheroes uh, mm-hmm. and, and he, you know, has historically been afraid to lean on his friends and family for too much because he's scared about endangering them other people want to be able to help him they want to be able to share a part of that um obviously like giving your weapons maintenance just giving your sat, giving a satellite uh, dro- drone system to uh, the nice the nice middle-aged man you met is probably not <laughs> a good way to share the burden <laughs> of heroism but i do think that's a theme that's in there oh, actually i really want to qu- i want to quote something i saw on twitter i love it from ethan barker who wrote there's just something very american about turning spider-man into a coming-of-age story where a cool billionaire arms dealer lives. a bright-eyed kid limitless drone strikes to use as a yeah. for heroism brought to you by the u.s military <laughs> but um anyway shout out to you <laughs> but um i don't know i think that that definitely was one of the heavy one of the more significant messages of it as well and then the scene where you have the uh all the secondary characters are in the tower of london and they I think they might be about to die and they all have their moments of confession to each other but it was nice, it
1: was nice. I, I particularly loved the, the part where they were able to locate them through Flash Thompson's live livestream. Livestream, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that like this thing that like we find so annoying about his character throughout the entire film that like it comes through, right? That there's like a role for him to play even though like the whole time we're like so annoyed with the fact that like he's wearing his like, sort of doofy hat and like acting like he's really cool in his live stream like for whom he's like on a euro trip with all his friends like what's going
2: mm-hmm.
1: on um and like <laughs> there's sort of this like very like i felt sort of tenderly towards it as like a like kind of like like rhetorical move about this sort of like shared burden of heroism in the film that i'm like you know what like it takes all types right yeah. like you you need you need people who have like uh different interests and skills and like uh assets that they've built up over like years of doing something that like you might think is sort of useless and pointless. Um, but you never know what's going to come in handy. <laughs> totally. You learn that doing direct action too, right? Like, <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, I love it. I think that's, I think that that's probably a very deliberate choice as well. Like, So let's just talk about Telos for a second because I'm the biggest Telos mm-hmm. fan in the world. I was so thrilled with the reveal that Nick Fury had was actually Telos dressed as Nick Fury. And I feel like there even was something in his in Nick and Samuel Jackson's posture of that in it. Like he just seems like a little bit more diva than before. Um, um, and- that was shocking. I was legitimately shocked
2: that they would do that for an entire movie with that character and that actor. Um, and apparently it was, it is the plan from get go. Like Samuel L. Jackson knew he was playing a scroll. Um, and I, I, I just was, that, that was like a legitimate shock that I was impressed by in the film.
0: Yeah, I, I'm, I'm just like, I, 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 I don't, I've written about Talos over at, um, the Wired and I've talked about him a lot, but I really love that freaking character. And, uh, I feel like this, it really is in there, like it's in the performance and I'm really heartbroken that there are people who still leave these theaters early um, which is just mind boggling to me. Um, Does anybody? Yes, I have, it's yes, 2019 yes, y'all. Yes. Like it was one thing when I saw it happening at like Black Panther works, I know there were a lot of people who were new to seeing Marvel movies there. So I actually told a few uh, senior citizens and then they really, they thanked me for not, for not, you know, for, 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 for mm-hmm. telling them to stick around because they were new to this. But yeah, people will totally, I saw people leave early from Captain Marvel and I saw people leave early from uh, from this, it's very strange.
2: Because I feel like people stay late for, stay like through the credits of every movie waiting for like Sam Jackson to pop out, even when it's like not a Marvel movie.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, I I went and saw the farewell in theaters this weekend. And I also, like, my friend who I was with, like, immediately got up once the credits started rolling. And I had a moment of being like, should we be doing Like, can't, should we? And I was like, oh, it's not. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to like what happens in the next installment because, uh, you know, Telos is this like uh like biological faker, right? Mm-hmm. As a shapeshifter, and, like what what is going to be the tension between like the high tech fakers, um, you know, who are using like drones and holograms and like well edited video to create, uh, you know, things that aren't what they seem, um, versus, uh. Tell us in Spider Man and, and you know what will kind of come of that. Uh, I think there might be some some pretty cool kind of like, uh, like, t- like technology versus society sorts of things going on um, in our next film.
0: I just really am all about like having the character and everything because I think it's such a <laughs> meaningful, subversive like particularly queer, particularly Jewish, particularly refugee, <laughs> like all of my vectors of things that I'm like, <laughs> identify with and love, uh, character um, being badass in the Marvel universe, so.
2: Do, do you wanna see a secret invasion with these scrolls or is no, that, would that, I don't. You don't? That's just
0: gonna be anti-Semitic as fuck. I don't see any way that it wouldn't, like I, it just would be read that way. Mm-hmm. I, I don't mm-hmm. think they're headed that way, to be honest. Um, but I don't know, I've been proven wrong before. Um, but yeah, I just think it's, um, it undermines the work that they've done so far and that it's politically really problematic. But luckily they've got a lot of stories to draw from that are not that one.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: <laughs> I hope. But one story that they are drawing from is the whole Spider-Man's identity gets exposed and it's amazing. Cause like, I think that, to me that's like a trump card this is a, again one of the uh, post credit sequences to me that's like the trump card like pulling out all the stops full level crisis of spider-man's life and it's crazy to me that they're deploying that after this at the end of the second movie because like you, there's just no going back except through time travel and reality warping and, and maybe selling your relationship with your wife to save the life of your elderly aunt for some reason and one day more yeah let's pretend that never happened um (laughs) that's when i stopped
2: reading spider-man comics
0: and same but you know but it's a big gamut so what do you guys think about that decision to have that come out right now
2: i was so surprised by it even though i had it spoiled for me on twitter oh man Um, no, but think about it, like, before you go to the movie, like, seeing on Twitter that, like, J.K. Simmons is back as J. Jonah Jameson and exposes Spider-Man's identity, I was just like, that's the way you blow up a film franchise, there's no way this is really happening, like, this is a, this is some fake internet nerd news, and then when it actually happened, I was like, oh, shit, they, they did that, um, but I, I mean, they just seem committed to doing everything that other versions of this character have not done. Um, and I think it, it, but, but always doing it in a way we're not going to necessarily expect. So I'm, I'm sort of wondering what it's going to be like for him to be like a public team superhero, because that's not something we've seen from him before.
0: Yeah. I mean, first he has mm-hmm. to survive, like being crucified by the media through like a deep fake,
2: mm-hmm.
0: um, and I think you know that being the whole story of the next movie. Like you have this Bill O'Reilly, like that might be more of an Alex Jones type, J. Jonah Jameson, which know, is she- from the, which is from the video game. That's yeah. J. Jonah in the video game. Mm-hmm.
1: Hmm. Um, you know how? Yeah. Go ahead. I mean, I, I'm I'm like, really curious about how, um, they're gonna play the deepfake thing going forward, um, just because, like, because of this reveal, and because, like, I think, you know, even with Mysterio out of the picture, it's, like, clearly there are, like, these, like, elements that are still interested in manipulating public opinion, and, like, uh, I'm, I'm I'm really curious about, like, how uh like how the public is actually going to take that because we didn't actually really Mm -hmm. get a lot the only reaction we got to that reveal was peter's reaction to the reveal and so i'm curious like what kind of like uh sort of like media commentary is going to be in the next film um about that like are there going to be like uh you know factions of people who do and do not believe this news especially because of where it's coming from yeah that's a good point I'm curious, though, to how they may or
2: may not downplay it just because the first movie ends with May finding out and it's like no Mm. big deal. And also, you know, Tony Stark has been publicly a hero since the first movie, you know, it's not it's not a world with secret identities the way that they're that there are in the comics. So I, I do wonder if there might just be, like, a complete 180 where he becomes, like, a political figure and celebrity that has to, like, fight his own bad press in a much more, like, open way um, mm. rather than, like, have to put the genie back in the bottle like he did in the comics.
0: Yeah, yeah, that is definitely different. Um It's hard. I mean, I think it definitely is hard. It was hard for me to see it other in in that way in that moment because of my past associations with the character. But that that, that makes sense.
2: I well, I just want to say that Aunt May and Happy Hogan are my favorite couple in the MCU now, Mm. Um, whether they are just friends with benefits or it's gonna become a relationship. I was just very (laughs) um, into their chemistry. I believed the relationship. Um, Happy had some of my favorite moments in the film. Um, And I'm sort of, as much as it does create like a hindrance to Peter being on his own, um, the way that these Spider-Man movies operate as Iron Man four and five, um is just really interesting in a in a genre franchise place because mm. i feel like you've never seen someone successfully do it before because it's almost like you know granted you have the whole marvel apparatus but it's almost like we got three batman movies and then it's spun and then like batman four and five were like these solo robin movies to a degree like it's not you know, continuing a lot of the same stories and threads. I'm, I'm curious to see if Tony is still going to be a presence in a third movie that might feel a little bit too much, but, but the way that they keep um, sewing backwards to Iron Man is, is, and, and in effective ways is just continues to be really impressive.
0: Ooh, you got me thinking about something. So the device that get that, that Tony gives spy P- peter is literally a set of glasses she means mm-hmm. he's giving him lenses through which to see the world and these lenses are ones in which like when he sees what it gives him are access to information and access to violence mm. and like those are the two lenses that like tony granting on this privilege it gives him to have like he's not giving him a, a set of lenses that are revealing mm-hmm things that are necessarily yeah. good for him. It's, you know, invading people's privacy and possibly killing them. So it's like this, like, you know, and, and this is a movie that still very much reveres Tony Stark. Um, it does, mm-hmm. The movies have always taken him as a hero with like, you know, who's, who's an imperfect hero it goes without saying for sure, but mm-hmm. certainly reveres. But it's like, if that's like the lens of how to view the world that you're leaving a young person, that's like woefully Incomplete lens to gift them with.
2: Yeah, I do have a hard time believing that Tony, who in his own film series is so anti war, is like loading all of these drones into space. Um, but it, because it, it feels like very Iron Man 1 and like sort of Iron Man 2 was very much about like leaving that behind um and so that that was something that felt like a little bit at odds with who Tony was but um yeah it's you know the 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 films tend to do a weird thing where they're lifting a lot from like the Ultimates version of the Avengers but like forgets all of the war stuff like that the war stuff is like linked to that depiction of the characters like once this stuff becomes real or part of the real world it's going to be weaponized
0: kaden
1: thoughts i the the thing i started thinking about when you were talking is like that sequence when they're on the like mountain road on their way to vienna and like uh okay. Peter almost blows up the bus that they're on <laughs> mm-hmm. um, with the glasses. It's sort of like, like awkward misuse that like is sort of played for laughs, but also, you know, if you think about it in this context, right, of like Tony is leaving this like sort of like problematic view on the world to this kid and, um, I think it it is also a moment that like should be a little sobering, right that it's like you know everything ended up working out all right, but like he's not you know it's it's like in the in the sort of like arc of the film, like he takes it as like evidence that he's not ready mm-hmm. right that like um but it like this observation that you know this giant satellite full of drones is like. That are our arms to kill is like kind of like out of character for like post Iron Man one Tony is like there are like some some questions I have about that too, um, and that like there there is that like I guess back and forth I think within Peter himself being that is is like still revering Tony so much that he he doesn't question the gift, he questions his own worthiness.
0: Right? Yes, right. yes.
1: You know, there's, there's something there.
0: And it's like, no, actually you're too good for the gift. Like the gift, mm. the gift <laughs> is like toxic and actually not what we want for the future at all. And you've been given yeah. this burden of inheriting the violence and, you know, cre- creepy privacy invasion of the older generation's technological priorities. And instead it should be, about what do you want to make for the future? That's actually a positive thing.
1: Right. And like the instinct to give it up is maybe the right instinct on some level. I mean, it also, I mean, I, I think one of the things that I think about when we work on a lot of the sort of like technology policy issues that we work on is also that like once something is released into the world, it's really hard, if not impossible to put that genie back into the bottle. And like, it would be interesting to see uh, Peter struggle with that question, right? But like, especially with uh, this sort of like deep fake theme, that, like, how do you deal with a world that like, has these things in it? Um, he can't destroy the thing. I mean, I, maybe he could, he could figure out a way to destroy the thing, but like, the thing exists and therefore people want it, right, um, and, giving it giving away our power over some of that stuff like while it might be frightening to have it it's like how do we how do we responsibly disarm right in like the kind of like technological arms race that we're in and not just in terms of like actual weapons but like other tools in terms of surveillance Mm -hmm. um they're hard questions and i think that like uh especially I mean maybe less so when it comes to like giant satellites full of drones um, because that's like (laughs) material objects that may be hard to replicate but in terms of like uh, like software um, and other media that like you know once something hits the internet it's difficult if not impossible to take it down completely. Um, Although you do have to wonder if like as a Gen Z kid does he have the the
2: privacy concerns because like a lot of the information he gets (laughs) About like sure. and his other suitor is stuff he could get from Facebook. You know, it's just like it's Facebook plus a drone is like sort of where it goes off the rails, um.
1: <laughs> right? With it, with a with a, with a uh, an RPG launch yeah. or something.
0: <laughs> well, thank you both for joining us. Um, and I, I, this is exactly the conversation I was hoping to have. And um, and so uh, just let our listeners know where they can find your work coming up. I know, Tom, you have a show coming out.
1: Where can uh, yeah, we,
0: check it out?
2: Um, well, you can follow my work on tomtv.com. That's T-O-M-T-E-E-V-E-E.com or on Twitter at, at TomTV, spelled the same way. Uh, my upcoming web series is called Lo, the, uh, the New Adventures of Ultimate Man's Ex-Girlfriend. Uh, it is a rom-com about breaking up with a superhero uh, and <laughs> uh, it's going out cool. to our Kickstarter backers right now and uh, it should be on a larger platform soon. So
1: I will be making
0: that announcement when it's ready to be made. Woohoo. Ken, what do you want to share?
1: Um, so you can find me on Twitter at Caden, which is my first name, C-A-Y-D-N. Um, and you can find our work at 18 million rising at one eight, the numbers one eight and the words million rising. Um, and we're also at 18 million rising.org. Um, we do a lot of like, uh, so we we do specifically Asian American organizing, but we are giant nerds mm-hmm. um, and uh, are really like you know interested in these these questions about where sort of like identity and politics intersect with nerddom and uh, popular culture. So yeah, yeah. If you uh, thanks as always for having you. me, Ilana. This
0: is a If blast. folks really want to see organizations doing fan activism and fan organizing work that's interesting, definitely follow follow Eighteen Million Rising. And as for me, I'm on Twitter at Ilana E L A N. A underscore Brooklyn. That's Ilana underscore Brooklyn. And uh, I just had a review of Superman's pal Jimmy Olsen 1 go up live at uh, Comics Beat. Uh, and I'm usually at graphics policy, graphicpolicy.com for all your comics news and views. Have a great week and keep it geeky.